I would invite you this morning to take your Bibles, if you have them with you, and turn to the the book of Romans, chapter 14. We're kind of bringing the whole study in the book of Romans kind of down for a landing. We've got a few more weeks left. Uh, Let me tell you where we're going to go after that real quick. Once we're done with the book of Romans, we're going to take several weeks and we're going to work our way through what is often known as, because Paul calls it that, the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, and don't pluralize that. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to look at each of those characteristics individually. But then we're going to do something after that that's a little bit unique. We are going to do a study of one person one individual in the Bible, that before there was ever fruit of the Spirit mentioned, this individual models that for us. And uh, so that's kind of where we're headed. I'm not telling you who that individual is yet. You get to think about that one. Uh, but So that's where we're headed. But I want to do something this morning. I want to read uh, most of our passage this morning, Romans 14. We're going to be in chapter, chapter 14, and we're going to go from actually verse 12 all the way through 23. But I want to read verses 12 through 19. And I want to read them this morning from the New Living Translation. The the words will be up on the screen because you probably, unless you have your phone on you and you can change translations real quick, the words will be on the screen. You can follow along as I read them. One of the reasons I do this sometimes is just to get a different flavor uh, for what the, the text is telling us. So this is Romans chapter 14. Verses 12 through 21. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person... It is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, You will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. The word of the Lord. Sometimes we, you, you would wonder, okay, why all this stuff about food? Why was it so important? I have a little book, or read a little book, and, and realized I couldn't find it on my shelf this morning, so I ordered it. Uh, it's entitled Going to Church in the First Century. It's written by an Australian theologian and Christian thinker by the name of Robert Banks. And he gives us in that book a flavor of what it would look like 
for a first century believer in Rome to go to church. And he does it not in just kind of a historical form, he does it in sort of a story format. And one of the things that we believe is, was very common in the time was when they came together, there would always be a meal. Remember, they were meeting in homes. These were house churches, um, probably at most 20 people, but probably not that many. And some of these people were very poor. They were slaves. And, uh, and that the person that owned the house had the means to own a house, which was significant in the Roman Empire. And so they would come together and everyone could bring what they could. Some couldn't bring anything. And they would get together and they would have this meal. And, and as the meal was going on, part of the conversation would be how they lived the Christian life in their circumstances. Or in the case of Romans, maybe one day the meal was going on and Phoebe was there delivering this letter from Paul to them and, and explaining to them about what, what Paul had, had written. And so you can just imagine, especially in the Roman church. Now, in the Corinthian church, and we have those instructions in 1 Corinthians 11, the, the wealthy people in Corinth were getting together and eating and making the poor people more or less stay outside in the courtyard until they were done with their meal, and then they would let them come in and have part of the service. And Paul's going, absolutely not. You eat at your own home if you're going to do that. But in Rome, that wasn't the case. But what was the case is you had this mixture. You had people who came from a Jewish background. And as a result, sometimes the, the way that they had been raised, the, the laws that they had followed, they, they still were, they struggled with, I just can't let go of some of the, 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 the food laws that we had. So, for instance, they, would, they, they wouldn't eat pork. Uh, they wouldn't eat shellfish, things like that. These were things that were prohibited. They said, you know what, right now, as a matter of my faith, I just I can't do that. Now, Paul calls that, not in a derogatory term, but because Paul was very much steeped in the Jewish faith as a former Pharisee. He calls that a weak faith in the sense that their faith was still had a, something they needed to lean on. But on the other hand, you have people that grew up in Rome. They didn't have the same food laws. Not, that didn't make any sense to them. They would eat whatever. So just imagine these people come together for dinner, and, and the, the host begins to carve a nice piece of pork tenderloin that's been roasted all, you know, over the fire. It's got the nice little crust. It's done to a medium rare. It's juicy. And imagine the host turning to his Jewish friend and saying, you know, this is really good. I, I think you need to have some of this. I think you need to just grow up and get over it and realize that you can eat this. You, in fact, here, here, let me give you a no thank you helping. Come on, 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 take a bite. Imagine that. Imagine how that Jewish person would feel. They would feel embarrassed and humiliated. They would feel like they weren't respected. Imagine that they might even decide, maybe I don't want to be here anymore. And that's the kind of thing Paul's addressing. Don't use these things as a way to get in the way of somebody else. And imagine, too, on the other side, the Jewish people saying, those people, they're just wrong. They're wrong in so many ways. And there was this potential of 
holding the people who said, no, I can't eat this, holding them in contempt. And there was this potential of looking at the people who said, I'm free to eat whatever I want, and judging them as not really following Christ. And that's kind of why this is a big deal. And yet we ought to think about it in our context. You know, in our context, sometimes maybe it's not food, but maybe it's how can you be a Christian and vote for, and you fill in the blank. How can you be a Christian and go to, and you fill in the blank. How can you be a Christian and think, and you fill in the blank. And we have that propensity to maybe define Christianity by a certain set of standards that Paul in the early part of of chapter 14 calls disputable matters or non-essentials. So in our passage today, Paul shifts his focus a little bit. But the total focus, the, the bottom line over all of this is living out the Christian life is really about learning to daily put others first. That's going to be the focus here. And in the first part of Romans, Paul addressed both groups. You don't condemn one, you don't judge the other, and and all. And he says, but in this section, Paul's going to kind of turn his sights toward those who he would call stronger, who said, we can eat anything. But the bottom line for Paul is always accept one another in Christ. Don't judge or condemn others whose expressions of non-essential areas are their own. If they express their faith in ways that doesn't really look like yours, but it's not one of the essentials, we just sang thank you for the cross, they still cling to the cross, they still cling to the teachings of Jesus, love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, love your neighbors yourself, they cling to that, but maybe their expression is different. Don't judge or condemn them. The focus here is on the second group. And really, the transition verse here is verse 12. We ended with that last week. Verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Very interesting, the, 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 the little phrase, to God, is not really in the text. It's, it Basically, if you translated it out, it would say, so that each of us will give account of ourselves. But very logically, the understood reality is, to whom am I going to give account? Well, ultimately, I'm going to give account of myself to God. And, what follow, and, and that should be a stark reminder for all of us. There is going to come a time. There is going to come a time when we will give an account to God for how we lived our lives. And I don't want to try to imagine that time. I don't want to try to paint a word picture. Uh, I will say I don't think it's going to be like, you know, a big screen up here. And uh, we'll all be sitting out there. And you're going to see the life of Scott Howington, and all of my failures will be paraded before you, and I'll be, I, don't, I think it's going to be a very personal time between us and God. If God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, if he can be everywhere at once at the same time, then I think it's going to be more of a personal thing between us and God. It's not about me and you, it's about me and God. But in verses 13 to 23, this section has a very clear structure. There are three clearly stated therefore statements in verses 13 through 23. And that's going to give us the structure and that's going to give us our principles for, for what, how we are to live. Paul says, so then, 
Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind that you, not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. Let me state the principle this way. Be intentional to not interfere with another's faith journey. Be intentional to not interfere with another's faith journey. The text reads, stop passing judgment, and then it goes on to say, instead make up your mind. The word judgment and the word make up your mind, the word that those two come from, are, are similar in their root. It's a, it's a word play. So don't judge, don't determine not to judge, determine to be different. Make up your mind that you're not going to do anything to put an obstacle, a stumbling block, some kind of interference in, in the way of somebody else's faith journey. In this case, what Paul's talking about are special days and food. So if a person had the freedom to eat anything, took each and every opportunity to remind their other friends that didn't feel the freedom to eat anything of how much they were missing and how sad it was that they didn't have the same freedom that I do, then, then they would make that, they were on the risk of that person feeling like, well, I guess I'm not good enough. Maybe, maybe I'm not really following Jesus. Maybe I, I don't have this thing down. Uh, and if they forced that person to eat that thing that they said they can't eat, make, force that Jewish person to take a bite of bacon, it's good, you'll love it. If they force them, then at the same time, that person could walk away believing they had sinned before God and were guilty. And Paul says, make up your mind not to do that. Paul gives a personal example of his own life. Remember, Paul was trained in the law. He was a Jew by birth. He was trained in the law. He studied under a rabbi named Gamaliel. And the way that they would study the law is they would memorize. A really good rabbi not only knew the Torah forwards and backwards, they knew the rest of the Old Testament. They had it down. And oftentimes what a rabbi would do, and we see it in Jesus' teaching, they mention one part of a verse expecting their student to know all the context that surrounds it. And Paul knew this. But Paul had become a Pharisee. In the book of Acts, when we first meet him, he's with the Sanhedrin. He was holding the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen and giving approval to it. In Acts chapter 9, he gets letters from the Sanhedrin, letters to go to Damascus and find people that were following the way, that were following Christ, and he was, the job was going to be to drag them back to Jerusalem and have them thrown in jail and some, in some cases executed. And, and looking back on that, that's why he would say to himself, I am the worst of sinners because I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Paul knew what he was speaking about as far as being steeped in the law. And he said, but you know what? In Acts 9, when he met Jesus face to face, he falls on the, the road on the Damascus and, and he spends time rethinking his faith under the tutelage, I believe, of Christ. He talks about Christ. He spent 14 years in the desert 
Paul rethought everything and he realized, oh, there is so much freedom because Jesus fulfilled the law, so I have freedom. And that's why he can say in verse 14, I'm convinced that nothing is unclean. But note that he adds very carefully, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it's unclean. Paul said, I have freedom. I know that nothing's unclean, but you know, if it's unclean for you, then so be it. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to give you freedom to choose in that area. I respect them. I don't criticize them. I don't judge them. I don't put them down. Give people freedom of their personal convictions in non-essential issues. Now you might say, well, do they give me freedom for my convictions? Isn't that the natural thing? I mean, I have to be sensitive to them, but are they sensitive to me? Verse 3 says, those who don't have freedom should not judge those who do. It goes both ways. But for the one who's being addressed, Paul says, be intentional to not interfere with another's faith journey. Now he ramps it up as we get to verse 15. Paul says, if your brother or sister is distressed of what you, because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Paul said, if this is something that's clearly not related to the gospel, it's something that's not clearly prohibited in Scripture, it's non-essential, verse 1 of chapter 14, if, if that's still to be unclean, then give them the freedom not to participate it, but respect them. And he's implying, if I add to their distress, if I add to someone else's distress by openly eating something in front of them, by openly participating in something that they struggle with, I'm not acting in love. I add to their distress. We're going to see this later, but there are times when you and I should choose to personally and intentionally not exercise my freedom in a way that's sensitive to someone else. Because there's a chance that if I flaunt my freedom in front of another, I could start to erode their faith. And that's a very strong idea. Paul says here, you know, you're not acting in love. The end of verse 15 says, Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. You and I don't want to be part of destroying. And that's a very strong word that Paul is using. I don't want to be a part of someone saying, Well, if that's how it is to be a Christian, maybe I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I don't want to be a part of that. None of us should want to be a part of that. Paul, I wish Paul would have given us some really good examples. Like, okay, here's a footnote. Here's five things. We don't have those. But let me share with you just one example. It's, a, it's one that's been used a lot, but it kind of fits the whole context. There are very good and godly people, Christ-following people, who have no problem was sitting down to a meal and enjoying a glass of wine with their meal. And they know what wine pairs with what food, and, and, it's, and they enjoy it. And there are good and godly people who don't believe that's the right thing to do, who don't believe that there should ever be any alcohol besides NyQuil in their house. 
And that's their freedom. But let's say, for sake of argument, I'm one of those who enjoys a glass of wine with my meal. And let's say, for sake of argument, I invite you over to my house for dinner. And I know that you don't enjoy wine with your meal. In fact, I know that you come from a background uh, that I came from as a kid where alcohol was never, never used. Quick side story, my grandmother was once making a fruitcake and it called for rum. My grandmother actually went to a liquor store and it, the, the, the measurement was for a jigger of rum. A jigger of rum is a tiny amount. It's barely a shot glass. She went to a liquor store in Bluefield, West Virginia and asked them if they could sell her a jigger of rum. After they picked themselves off the floor in laughter, they got a Dixie cup and poured a little rum in it and put a little cellophane over it and said, here you go, ma'am, you could just have this. That's the kind of background I came from. You know, and so God's, and so I would say in my illustration, now I have some freedom in this area, but I know that you come from a similar background as me. I invite you to my house for dinner. I am not going to crack open a fresh bottle of wine and pour you and me a glass and insist that you drink it. That would distress you. That would cause you angst. That would put you in a bad situation. And that's what Paul says. Don't use your freedom in a way that might hurt someone else's faith. Just choose not to do it for that time. We do it all the time. Anytime we invite somebody over to the house for dinner, you know, one of the questions is, do you have any food allergies or sensitivities or preferences that we need to be aware of? We do that all the time, namely because we have some. You know, if you invited me over and you asked me that, the first question, the first answer would be, I am highly allergic to shrimp. Highly allergic to shrimp and to some other shellfish. Now, if your response was, well, you will love my shrimp scampi. It is some of the best around, and I cook shrimp the right way. No, you don't get it. I once barbecued some shellfish on the grill, was going to serve it to someone else, and even the smoke affected me. I once ate a, a, a curry that had shrimp paste as the 10th ingredient on the list of the curry powder, and I sneezed for 25 times in a row. No, you don't get it. If you serve me shrimp, you might be taking me to the emergency room and hope we get there in time. So you would say, but we're not having shrimp. And Paul says, do that for, give that same respect to someone that says, I don't eat this. Great, we're not going to serve that. We're not going to put it on the menu. We're not going to even try to entice you with it. That's the point. In other words, in verses 15, 16, 17, 18, the point that Paul wants us to have is be intentional in promoting kingdom values. And he's going to explain that for us. Verse 16 is every bit as difficult. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. What is that? Well, we're dealing in the area of freedom. We're dealing in the area of freedom and faith. The freedom we have in Christ is such a good thing. 
And the principles of discernment are important and good. And yet if I have a greater sense of freedom and I flaunt that or I use that to somehow get in the way of your faith, I've taken that which is good and I've turned it into evil. I've taken the good that Christ has given me and I've used it for the wrong purpose. Anything that can cause another to, in their own hearts, do something that violates their conscience before Christ is something that we should do our best to not do. Paul says, For the kingdom of God, verse 17, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. In other words, the kingdom is greater than food or drink. The kingdom is greater than political preferences. The kingdom is greater than what you choose or choose not to do on a Sunday afternoon. The kingdom is greater than that. The, the kingdom is, 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 is so much greater that we should not let non-essential issues interfere with righteousness. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness. Righteousness is that behavior that pleases God and encourages others. And sometimes we express our righteousness and are pleasing to God by choosing not to do something so that we can come along and encourage someone. The kingdom of God is peace, harmony that God desires to exist between those who follow Jesus as part of God's family. The kingdom of God is joy. When there is righteousness and peace in our midst, there's a, a joy. There's a celebration of one another. There's an appreciation of one another. There's an encouragement of one another. Because who you are as a person before Christ is far more important than what I choose to eat or drink or any other of those non-essential issues. Paul says this pleases God and receives human approval. I shouldn't do stuff for human approval. Look at what he's saying. This pleases God. And as people look at our local body, as people look at how we come together, they go, wow, okay. Those people at Pleasant Hill Community Church, they're good people. That's a good group. That, that, in fact, I don't go to church, but if I did, I think I would try there. You know, it's that kind of idea. It, it helps other people have the right concept of what God's people are like. Paul moves on with his third therefore statement in verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Be intentional about building up one another. Be intentional about building up one another. We should be doing everything we can, everything in our power to make intentional decisions that lead to peace and building one another up. My dietary preferences, other choices in my life aren't to be that which bring disharmony, disunity, or harm in any way to the work of Christ in another's life or in the life of a church. So if I know that something I'm doing is potentially harmful to another, it would be best not to do it. As our illustration above, if it's having somebody over for dinner, I don't serve or partake of that which in their presence would bother their conscience. 
Um, several years ago, there was a, a major golf tournament going to be played at the most exclusive golf club in our area. In fact, it is the oldest 18-hole golf club in the United States. It's called the Chicago Golf Club. Uh, the Chicago Golf Club is one of those places, if you have to ask what the membership fee is, you can't afford it. And in fact, you can't walk into the Chicago Golf Club and say, you know what, I've got the membership fee. I you have to be invited. I had told my beloved that I think that would be a good weekend for me to take a vacation that I could take a vacation because they were asking for volunteers to help with the tournament. I said, you know, I could volunteer, help with the tournament. I would be in the community, you know, and all like that. I said it would be, you know, Thursday through Sunday. I'd take a week of vacation, get someone to preach for me, all of that. And Charlene made this statement because she's very wise. And uh, I often say the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like Charlene's voice so much in my life. And she said, you know, Scott, think carefully about what you're doing. You're taking a day off from gathering with God's people and worshiping to do something that you want to do, but really doesn't enhance who you are. It's not really going to be a break. She, she just wants, she goes, you know, people can struggle with that. People don't struggle if you go away on vacation with me and the kids and we go somewhere. That's great. That's what the fam You're with the family. That's cool. But for you going to a golf tournament and just take it, she goes, I, I just, I think you ought to rethink that. I didn't go. I, I didn't go. I didn't. She was right. You say, well, you had the freedom to do that. I know I did. But you know what? If my doing that, and you know me, sooner or later, it's going to come up in a sermon illustration. So if, if my doing that would have caused anybody angst, it would have been wrong of me to do that. And, there's a, and today, see me later, I'll tell you the long story about why I don't play golf on Sunday. It happened way back when I was in seminary. But that's a whole different story, and it's kind of mythical. But the reality is I made a decision because my wife said, Scott, think carefully about how someone else might feel about that. Are you willing to put aside that desire so that you didn't do anything to bring harm, offense, that caused someone to step back and go, oh, well, I could do that. If it caused them angst in their Christian life, it would be better not to do it. You need to be intentional about building others up. Paul says these things here in 19 through 23 that give us both a conclusion and a transition. First, he says, this is the point. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Look at this one. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Don't take an attempt to destroy the work of God for the sake of a golf match. Don't try to destroy the, sake of the work of God for your preference here. Don't make sure that what you're doing is not going to take an op that might destroy the work of God. Don't do that. Make every effort to build others up, to edify one another. He says, 
All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. How I live my life is up to me and God, but if my life, the way I'm living my life, the choices I make in some way cause you to stumble, and you know what? Every one of us, no matter where we think we are on the spectrum, there was always somebody watching to see how we live our lives. And if it causes someone else to stumble, if it interferes with their faith, then I should say, I don't need to do that. I don't need to be so bound to that activity that somehow it hurts someone else. It's better to not eat meat or drink or eat meat or drink wine to do anything or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. You say, well, I got to go around looking over my shoulder. I don't think so. I don't think that's the point. I don't think I'd got to go around making every decision based on, I just think I make decisions saying, is this decision going to lead to peace and joy and righteousness? Is this decision going to do that which is going to build others up? Am I, if I make this decision, how, how am I going to bless someone else? And, you know, and so we just think about, no, it's not about just always looking over my shoulder. It's about, Am I following Jesus and loving my neighbor as myself? Paul says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blesses is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Keep your freedom to yourself. Don't flaunt it in ways that cause pain or distress to others. You're blessed if you do not allow what you approve in non-gospel issues to bring harm to others. You know, I, I believe very strongly that being up here, that the, the, the reason that I'm to be here is to open the Word of God and to teach it. That's why you don't hear me preach politics from the pulpit. I won't do that. That has no business up here. Because you know what? There are good and godly people who are on all sides of the political spectrum and it's not worth dividing the body of Christ for politics. Yeah. It's, we, we, we need to make sure that we're, what you believe politically, you just keep that to yourself. You deal with that. What you believe about what you enjoy, what beverage you enjoy with your meal, that's, that's between you and your family. That's the point Paul's making. Don't go flaunting all your stuff so that everybody else can see it and maybe they'll feel bad. Paul finishes in verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned by what they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. The whole idea is If you have concerns, then don't do it. And if you don't have concerns, then don't flaunt it. The idea here is as followers of Jesus, we must be sensitive to one another. And we do that by being intentional to not interfere with another's faith walk. We do that by being intentional in protecting true kingdom values. We do that by being intentional in building up one another. When we put others first. When we are sensitive to the issues that are important to them, we are participating in building the body of Christ. And here's the illustration I've used before. I'll use it in this realm. 
when I walk in here on a Sunday, if my mindset is, who should I put first today? How can I encourage, I've used it this way, how can I encourage someone else today? Who's the person I can encourage? Let's say I walk in here today and I say, you know what, I, I can encourage Greg today. How can I encourage Greg today? And Greg walks in and Greg's thinking, man, who can I encourage today? And Greg walks in and he says, I can encourage John today. I'm going to think about how I can encourage John. I want to be intentional about that. And John walks in today and he goes, you know what, I want to be intentional today about encouraging Pastor Scott. When we are all thinking of one another, then Greg, John, and Scott all walk out of here Sunday afternoon going, wow, I feel encouraged today. And that's the point Paul's making when I think about others, when I put others first, then I have that other-centered mindset that says, how can I encourage them? Not what can I do to trip them up or what can I do to flaunt my freedom so maybe they'll, you know, they'll see how great I am. When we put others first, when we're sensitive to the issues that are important to them, we're building the body of Christ. And that is a testimony to the culture around us of what real Christian unity looks like. We live in a culture that holds Christianity with suspect. We're in what's called by sociologists a post-Christian world. And so it behooves us to act in ways that show them that this is what the body of Christ looks like. It's righteousness. Peace, joy, loving one another. And we will find that we want to connect, that we want to grow together, that we want to be together. And you know what? As we think other-centeredly, we will eventually discover some of those things we thought were so important and my rights to hold on to, maybe they're not that important anymore. Maybe what's most important is that I follow Jesus as his disciple and let him help me shape my decisions and my daily life in ways that are encouraging to others. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Um, these are tough issues for us to sometimes wrap our heads around because we, we just don't always um, have a full understanding of how it was working back then and how it works now. So I, I hope, Lord, that you'll take my stumbling words and that you'll use them to help us have that mindset of others-centeredness. And I pray, Lord, that in, in light of that, we would be mindful of one another, that we would be aware of one another, that we would be loving Toward one another, that we would be intentional about encouraging one another in our faith walks. Lord, use all of this to bring glory and honor to your name. In, in Jesus' name, amen.